Between the Chapters, a weekly podcast discussion focusing on a chapter of the book, 25 Years of EdTech, written by Martin Weller. Here's your host, Laura Pasquini. Well, welcome to Chapter 17, 2010, Connectivism. I'm still Laura, hosting the pod Between the Chapters, and I'm joined today, thankfully, with the guest, Tannis Morgan. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Glad to be here. So here we are in 2010. What were you doing in 2010, Tannis? Oh my goodness, 2010, I was actually uh, changing jobs. I was in the middle of leaving one job to go to another higher ed institution that I was going to end up staying at for 10 years. So that was uh, that was a big year for me, actually. It's funny, I started a PhD program that year. And I started probably, I won't say based on this chapter, but based on some ideas, we'll talk about this chapter, I got really interested in networked communities and how people share and I was like maybe I could study this and change the world says an early doctoral student um, so <laughs> hey there's our connection to connectivism in a way there it is connectivism <laughs> I do remember connectivism it was um, front and center there for quite a few years and yeah certainly cer- I was following it from the fringes I guess I'll say yeah, I heard about this um, when I was back in Canada. So I was working before 2010, I was working in Canada um, at University of Toronto. And I think it was the CCK08, which is the Connectivism MOOC, Massive Open Online Course, um, that was talking about these concepts. And I guess um, it, we should define what connectivism is because it wasn't really a thing. It's defined loosely. Um, Based on chapter four, constructivism, you know, the problem-based learning and resource-based centered stuff, um, instead of building around the content, you're building around more around the network of learning and learning experiences and connecting to knowledge through people. That's like my interpretation of it. What do you think? Yeah. So, okay. So for me, um, I, when I read this chapter, I actually had to go back and read the connective, the constructivism one. Mm-hmm. because. Because so much of my relationship to connectivism is is basically a reaction that, well, this is just. <laughs> because I didn't really see the new in connectivism when it came out. And keep in mind, in 2008-ish was when I was hearing about connectivism. So I have a first question for Martin, which is why 2010? I, mm. I, I, was, I, I feel like it was a bit earlier than that, but Martin might have a really good reason. But, um, but in 2008-ish, and even before that, there was some really good work with things like activity theory, which for me is what connectivism is. Like it has a lot, shares a lot of the things with activity theory and specifically third generation activity theory. And there was some really interesting work being done with the application of that to computer media communication and digital learning and networked learning. And it's very well suited to connected learning and networked learning, which were also being rebranded at the time. In fact, I think way back in my blog archives, I think I even did a post on that somewhere. So, so this was kind of a reflective point for me. And, um, and there were also other people talking about, you know, things like actor network theory, which also shares some of the elements of connectivism. So for me, this was really not a theory. And I think it was being positioned as a theory. It was like, well, maybe this is a pedagogy, but it, for me, it wasn't a theory. I'm glad that you brought up chapter four and it's interesting um, in my between the chapters conversation with Jesse Stomel, we talk about like this is one of the few chapters that theory or framing of ed tech is positioned in the book and um, 
Don't worry, there's a pushback in that one. So if you haven't heard that one, flip back to between the chapters for number four. Uh, we go on a little rant or two in that. But I think some of what you said, I thought about actor networked um, experiences. I thought of what is old is new. Um, communities of practice came into, like, I was like, don't we already have some of these things hanging around? Yeah. Exactly. And so I think the definition that was defined was actually mid aughts, so 2005, I'll read it out, is the integration of principles explored by chaos, network, and complexity, and self-organization theories. Learning is a process that occurs within the nebulous environments of shifting core elements, not entirely under the control of the individual. So it's not necessarily a pedagogy, but a set of principles, which come from other things. So we're always building off the backs of other Mm -hmm. people, and this is what I'm learning. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think it was honestly like, I mean, if I say anything about connectivism, I think it was very much of its time, right? It was sort of um, this, what we thought was maybe a maturity of ed tech, it it needed something to explain what was going on. But at the same time, it was very immature in how it perceived um, the net as some sort of equitable place where participation wasn't problematic. And I think that was a big thing that, um, you know, the critics of connectivism were trying to surface is that, you know, it's not, it's participation is complicated. We already had Wenger, like we already had Wenger telling us that, you know, legitimate peripheral participation, he was problematizing participation to some degree, even though I think it was still fairly, you know, a celebratory. <laughs> but I mean, we had some of these things already percolating around. And I think um, I personally was a critic of connectivism. I brought up some, you know, comments here and there in a few places. And, um, you know, but I think, and there were others too, like there's some, I think Frances Bell even has an article that she co-authored with somebody that I, I remember thinking, oh, there it is, right? Um, but they didn't really get the same kind of energy as, you know, the rah-rah that was around connectivism at the time, which does that not sum up ed tech in a nutshell, quite frankly, we're always doing this to ourselves. It's true. We have a lot of cheerleading and then we have some afterthought after the thought. And it's it's, enthusiastic. We are. are. We're enthusiastic people. The shiny new thing. Um, (laughs) But we forget that they're built around these other things that exist. And the whole like leading, I love the leading introduction from Martin. That's the amnesia. We're soon to forget what's what, what was it's nothing new. It's the same, same only polished up a little bit. And maybe it's because like, I just liked what resonated to me was um, like learning and knowledge. And I'm a big knowledge, a kind of archivist sharing um, supporter management of that and curating that. So I like that. And also the other thing that I thought was appealing and maybe sexy about connectivism was the connection between disciplines, domains, and uh, fields, because we never really cross pollinate and I still don't think connectivism mm-hmm. did it, but to me, I thought that was rad. And I was like, sign me up. And that was 2010 where I was fresh eyed looking at this as looking at all the other theories um, that I soon realized, Oh, this is built off of um, when maybe that it should have been challenged more. And I wish there was other voices that challenged it at the time, because that's not something you're right. I didn't hear about that in 2010 about pushback on this. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that at the time too, it's very, it's very hard to push back on things in ed tech when there's so much enthusiasm. I mean, I was part of a, a research group that pushed back on digital natives, for example, and I can tell you that sometimes that felt like being, you know, the oddball at a party. Like it was, you know, you're like, eh, you know, but this, but that, and you know, 
so there was that. And at the same time, this was happening actually at the same time we published that article around between 2008 and 2010. We were working on that research project. So it was like another thing to be like the wah wah person at the party, right? And um, so I think like there, and, you know, and there, there, I definitely remember other people who were critiquing this, but yeah, who didn't really get a lot of airtime for it because the enthusiasm was there, of course. Like who wants to, you know, who wants to do that job, right? Well, I don't think it's being a Debbie Downer. I think it's being critical and being aware of what voices aren't being amplified in our networks. And I think that's something to call out is we often don't um, give room or space or hold space for other people that would have an opposing view because they could be the minority. They could be literally representing and being underrepresented in the field and we think there's a way of doing things, quote unquote, but how do we know that? And what kind of philosophies are we following? If we're going to follow constructivism, it's white dudes telling us what to do versus we already mm-hmm. know there's other people that have been forming community and traditions for years um, that we kind of co-opted and took apart. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same, same time too, like we've all, like in, if we've been in this field for a while, we've all been part of the enthusiasm too, right? Like it's, it's sort of like, it's not, you're not one or the other, you're kind of, you know, you're both, right? And um, I think that's part of having a long trajectory in this field is you can kind of look back on that and maybe reflect on that. And personally, I thought, I thought Martin did a really great job of this chapter because it's really balanced. Like it was a very balanced um retrospective on connectivism and I, I really appreciated that it actually helped me you know understand some of the more some of the elements of connectivism that maybe I didn't really understand as well and um yeah so in that respect I think like if you're going to read a chapter on connectivism this is a really good place to start I think yeah that's a good call out and it's funny I went back to I have I have a, a blog post called at the root of connectivism I literally looked at think Thank God for blogs oh, and blogging chapters. Yeah. And I think I was interested in it. And this came out of um, work from Alec Koros. Uh, he was teaching a course on ECNI 831 where he was modeling that for his t- uh, teachers and educators of social media and digital self um, and where they connect. And I like the idea of it was sense-making, wayfinding, but that's also a theory in its own as well. Like, it's just all these other things. That I'm yeah. like, oh, what I liked about the root of connectivism are the roots to these other theories and frameworks noted. So I, I'm just reading back this blog post and it was, yeah, there we go. October 7th, 2009, reflecting on what we talked around, um, where connections come from, what are the implications of these connections and what do they apply to a classroom? And oh, yeah. just Wendy Drexler's work on uh, just uh, connectivism in spaces and what they're learning from. And it wasn't necessarily connectivism, I think I was attracted to, I was attracted to the people that were coming up with ideas and spitballing things and teasing apart these concepts um, versus the overarching, I guess, connectivism space itself or what it is. It was the people in it and Mm -hmm. the network itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think my blog post was about, there was there at the same time, there was some connected learning group that had started in California with some pretty like big names in it. And it was the question mark for me was how come these people aren't talking to the connectivism people and vice versa, because it was literally kind of that kind of, so I I think that also said something about the time, like (laughs) the irony of that is where, you know, connectivism is about connecting, (laughs) but the two groups had never connected. (laughs) 
<laughs> the irony of it all. I think it's distributed knowledge is very distributed and very far and remote from each other. And it's, and, and it's things that we still cycle through today. Like, I wonder how many um, nodes of things that are happening and different pockets of kind of engagement and learning, what doesn't get shared because you're not part of X group yes. or membership in this organization. Or yes. I just affinity groups, right? Yeah. Affinity groups. Like it's, it's exactly that. That's, 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 I totally agree. And, um, and I think that's one of the, the things that I, I found problematic with um, connectivism was this whole idea that this um, like the whole sort of system relies on this generous participation and, you know, um, tapping into the network kind of, issue as if it's not unproblematic right so you you throw in gender in there so we already knew in this time like you know the 2000s to 2010 there were literally blog networks for women because their their blogs were not showing up on blog rolls and there Mm. were conferences for blogging women so like there were (laughs) that weren't necessarily mommy bloggers so it was I i remember that quite distinctly and it was like well if we already have this problem with women's you know blogs not getting read or blog rolled how is this like how is how is this going to equalize that in in any sort of way the participation part was already showing inequities and there was already some really good research around that too like the positioning and identity theory stuff which is really you know what that looks like digitally and um you know how people position themselves online how they are positioned you know, identity formations and that sort of thing. So it was sort of like, how is this, <laughs> given all that, that we know, how is this going to work? Yeah. <laughs> it's, just gonna be, it's just going to be a club. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It was. Right. He says it's like being, watching a party through a window. I thought, oh, that's such a good, I'm glad he put that in there because I certainly feel like that, that, that is the risk, right? I wonder if that's the party that we should be watching because it doesn't even touch on other intersectionality of identities like Kimberly Crenshaw talks about too. Um, I just think about the limited voice that was given maybe at that time. And um, you and I tried before and I, it, it reminds me that not everyone else felt that they could come into that party. And it's kind of like yeah. high school, at least in North America, from what I can tell, like Canada and us about the same. There's always like these stupid little cliques and I really hated that. Um, and I bucked against it myself because I wanted to play sports and sing in the musical and hang out with the punk kids and go to punk shows and also do nerdy chess things. So for me, I struggled with the idea that this was an onlooking party. So thank you for bringing up that quote. But I didn't like that because I was like, why, why does it have to be that way? And how do we shapeshift this kind of growing network space and is it because there was a dominant voice or two? Is this why? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I think we're still trying to unpack all that too. And um, I think we're so much better at being aware of that now too. I think um, that's much more front and center. And um, I mean, one of the examples I keep coming back to this year, you know, related to, you know, what happens when you don't listen to the, the broader participation in your field is um, Susan Kosaglu's um, paper that she or presentation it was paper I don't know if it was both on um, like the, the feminist critiques of distance education and that basically there was three decades of it and it went completely ignored <laughs> so it's like well that's kind of significant right that there were you know these feminist critiques of distance education which super useful right now in a pandemic by the way 
And, um, you know, the what, so, so I, I reflect on that in terms of ed tech, which obviously intersects with distance education and open education. And I reflect on all that, you know, as well. So that brought that back for me in this chapter, like bringing back all that, like, piece about, you know, what, what the celebratory nature of connectivism of that time <laughs> versus, you know, the critique. I will include Susan's article or session in this notes because this is how I learn. Um, and I think it's also critical to say that certain voices did get amplified. And I think you're right. We are more aware, at least in uh, as you go through a field and you're in the field long enough. And you're also just, as you age, I think, you're just thinking back to the interactions and what you did and what you're developing and is it where you want to be? And I think we can't say as we record this in 2020, it's, it's been a year um, and it's been something of a reckoning to call in in the last few years of what does it mean for women in different fields? What does it mean for um, people that are non-binary and those who identify as women to take on some of the work and some marginalized voices that don't get brought to the table? And I'm thinking of our Black, Indigenous, people of color and other ways that aren't showing up digitally because they were seen or not seen or maybe not even valued. And I don't think we've had enough people's voices to the table. So I'm grateful uh, for communities like the Fem at Tech that you're a part of that network. I'm grateful for, I was just talking about this now and saying like, let's just throw out some other names and examples. We need people to read Tannis. We'll just create a nice little reading list. For yeah. Exactly. yeah. Well, and of course, Martin, like, you know, in his um, acknowledgements in the, in the book, I mean, he does, I mean, he, he does a nice job of that, right? So he includes some, he, he includes, you know, a list of women essentially that have helped shape his thinking. And I think that's, that's a nice um, thing to remember as we have this discussion. So yeah, okay. yay, Martin. There, there is a hat tip to that. My name wasn't included in this book. Mode. Just kidding. I'm, I'm upset. Um, <laughs> I just started a podcast instead. Um, no, I think, I think there are some ways that, um, we do need to recognize who who brought us to these spaces. And even the quieter voices and the quiet leadership that's out there, um, I think could be brought up. And just because it's not a keynote or some big blog that someone's following, whatever that is, I think they're relevant more than ever. And I like that he, he brings up from this, um, the challenges in connectivism are critical literacies that we're not talking about, the presence yeah. of self-directed. Like I really think, um, and Cops uh-huh. brings that up is what do we do with our learners in these spaces that don't really get it or don't really have agency in some of those things? Um, and that's what I've been thinking uh-huh. more about in 2020 um, and supporting colleagues in higher ed that are teaching and learning from a distance, but also their students. Like some of our students don't have agency to have a presence online or they have to have anonymity um, or uh-huh. they're lacking some of the abilities to have these literacies as well. So I mean, an online presence takes time and time is actually an access barrier. Right. So like, there's also that, and that that's, that's old news, right. We know that from distance education. (laughs) Yeah. And, and looking at kind of this chapter, what are some things that uh, we could say literally 10 years later, looking at connectivism from this standpoint, from 2010 to 2020, that we've learned um, or we're still learning about and we're exploring in this concept uh, beyond it being, <laughs> I like the pedagogy of abundance, uh, but what are some things we're, you're learning that came for you from reading this chapter again at rereading it? 
Oh, well, I mean, I, I liked how he connected this to MOOCs, because obviously you can't talk about connectivism without connecting it to MOOCs. So um, certainly MOOCs haven't gone away. And um, there's that. Um, and there's something else I thought about here that was very, still very current in a way. Oh, this whole idea of, of like, in a way that what connectivism kind of tapped into, I think, which maybe was unique to it, was this idea of curation, right? And curation is still, like, it's definitely not gone away. In fact, now we can subscribe to email mailing lists that do curation for us or any number of, you know, other kind of places on, on the internet that do curation for us. So, so it's kind of like this pedagogy of abundance that became so abundant that we need curators. <laughs> Yeah, it's my secret goal is to bring out good things. Um, I think it's it's interesting because I, I found it it really hard for people to filter through. There was a lot more information. Now that we're at scale, like that's even a bigger issue is what do we do with all the things? Um, if you aren't having people thinking critically and identifying key sources and who gets to do that now. So I've been thinking more about the who's the one amplifying, curating those things and What's what's like our role in some of that is is also what I've been thinking about these days. Yeah, definitely. It's um, I mean, it's all that, and it's 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 sort of um, like I've been thinking a little bit about email mailing lists, like you know how email's dead. <laughs> but what it is? <laughs> well, so you know, you you keep hearing, and people supposedly hate their email so much that they have twenty Slack groups. Um, but this idea that like email, like email lists, like list platforms have never been like, I mean, they're, they're booming, right? Because it's like this new business opportunity for people to have these subscription based like mailing lists and that sort of thing. So it's, it's sort of that idea again of like, wow, <laughs> we're, we're doing this now. <laughs> like, I mean, the, the thing about the 2010 web was very much about self as curator and you know self as online presence and all this and now it's like become a lot of these things have become businesses and side hustles so i think there's it maybe it reminded me of that and i'm not sure how to connect that to connectivism other than to say i think it i think it underlines just how i think the enthusiasm of connectivism really underlined its point in time yeah it makes sense that we've just repackaged it and now we sell it. <laughs> that, sounds, I, that's almost too cynical for this between the chapters, but no, uh, it's not because I think you're calling it what it is because if this came out 2005 um, is when the, whatever this was first kind of being coined, it got pumped up in 2010. And what else got pumped up in 2010 onward is web 2.0 social media and we co-opted these spaces that we don't own. And now we're not, should we be surprised that the platforms we don't own, people want to monetize. So whether it's now on a blog or if you're on Instagram or you could sell ads on Facebook, these are spaces that have grown up, scaled, and everyone's in the town square now, not just the few that you could filter through. There's a lot back in the day, but now there's even more. So to get you noticed in this attention economy, which is what we're all living in, um, you got to pay to play or you've got to do something extreme or it is kind yes. of bananas to me. I'm not into it. Like no one's paying for me to do any of this. I just do it out of the love of learning, Tannis. But I think it's, <laughs> it's been a weird thing and we don't talk about it. So I'm glad that we're bringing this up is what do we do now that this 
connectivism that's amplified a few people and they've profited off it in some ways, which is weird. I haven't learned how to do that yet, or I don't really want to do that yet because it's shystery. Um, so what do we do now that we are in these places now that we're leaving 2010, sorry, 2020? Um, we haven't solved this problem yet, but it's a result of some of this networked experience, I think. Yeah, you really connected a dot for me, actually, that I hadn't connected. So like, like, I'm thinking about how so connectivism and MOOCs, the early MOOCs were really about, you know, these loose kind of infrastructure, very self directed, very like, participatory, and, you know, that sort of thing. But what's interesting is that, I mean, I'm, and I know you're not in higher education anymore. So you're probably more current with this than I am. But like the, the blow up of like people doing their own online courses through platforms like Teachable and Thinkific and like the online course marketplace is booming. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's the opposite of this. Like it's completely, it's almost like this pedagogy of abundance. People went, Oh my God, I don't have time to curate. and I don't have time to do this, but I'm, I'll drop $500 on this person's course. He's, he's somebody I follow on a blog or a listserv. He's selling a course. Sounds good. Sign me up. I mean, isn't that Come weird? I miss, I'm missing this whole marketplace <laughs> is what you just told me. Ah! <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's, 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 it's like crazy out there. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I just like, it's, it's, it's sort of almost, it's almost like the opposite happened. <laughs> so um, we're actually going back to almost chapter one and two. When I talked to Jim and Alan, <laughs> where we talk about the wild west, like, and I just remember yeah. just like, you got a website, I got a website, you know, and now it's like, you got a class online that's closed and paid for. I want to have one. It's a, it's a very funny, like, I'm going to call it a marketplace because that's what it sounds like out there. Mm -hmm. It is. Hucking their stuff. And instead of it being open. Yeah. I had this real problem, Tannis. When the pandemic hit this earlier this year, someone asked me to do this thing webinar and I, I stopped blogging at one point. I stopped doing a bunch of things that I'm like, screw you. I'm opening up a Google doc to curate this stuff for free and just put things in places. Cause you want to sell this for $500 to people and whatever. And it was like a company that does webinars. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Right. And so here the pop-up uh, market economy, people are doing well though. It sounds like. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hugely. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, maybe that takes us full circle, but it's, um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that connectivism was um, like some of our dreams, maybe, you know, it, it hit its wall and um, there it was, there it is, there it was. Um, and, you know, people did some really good work off of it. I mean, people, it was a foundational theory for many dissertations and um, articles and research. So, you know, it, it definitely served its purpose so i i think I, I think connectivism not as a theory or framework that i used but for the people that i was actually able to connect with and um i learned that there's lots of other points of view out there and i'm still learning there's more um and it reminds me that we don't we need to think about our worlds not being that small because what what has happened in the past happens again and people they're out there doing um, whatever they're doing these days. And in higher ed and other places, I think there's always going to be an opportunity in this um, <laughs> opportunity capitalism kind of space that we have to be aware of the limitations when we do work in a field that's supposed to be sharing knowledge and sharing practices. Um, 
at what cost is, is it going to break people? Um, I have some concerns. I don't know. I don't want to be down mm-hmm. on this either. And I don't want to end this on a, a negative note, but I'm worried that if we let everything be uh, paid for paid to play um, or just mm-hmm. that we're going to, it's going to bite us somewhere when we need it the most. Um, yeah. And I, I wonder about like, what would connectivism look like in the pandemic? Like the pivot, the COVID pivot, right? Like would, is it feasible in that? Or is it a really, I don't know. I mean, maybe there'll be time when we come back to connectivism and look at it differently too. So maybe it'll get iterated. Yeah. And maybe it's like a, cause it said something about it has had learning possibilities. At the end of the chapters, I would say there's possibilities that led to its formation. So maybe it's not connectivism, but it's um, maybe it's kind of like, I think about, Mike Caulfield talks about federated networks, like federated wiki. Maybe there's these federated things. Um, I think we have to have some crosstalk and sharing. So it makes sense that this is in between what personal learning environments um, in the chapter before that is around uh, Twitter and social media. So it's positioned in a funny spot in the book, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have impact to other chapters that are out there. So I think there's still relevance in blogging. Maybe there's relevance in podcasting, (laughs) I'm biased, and maybe Mm -hmm. there's relevance in other things that we do or the platform spaces that bring about people together. I think there's always good things that come together when people are sharing knowledge and making meaning together. And I guess that's why I spun off into like Wenger's work and looking at communities of practice Mm -hmm. a little bit more or communities of inquiry is just interesting to me because I wasn't always sure what came out of connectivism. So I still was left with a, these are great little nodes around and sharing and learning, but I want somewhere to get the work done in that domain. Yeah, I think that's a fair comment for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I feel like this period of time was also peak Wenger as well. So again, it it comes back to that, that part of, you know, this was kind of, you know, there was some really interesting discussions already happening around participation and, and in a digital context. So, Yeah. Right. We won't leave it on a negative note, but what do we have to say to, uh, what, do you have any questions that you'd like to ask Martin about or the community to think about from, from this kind of work? You know, I think my only question for Martin is how did he land on 2010? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about that. And well, you know, maybe a question for the community is, you know, what, what's your, yeah, what's your experience with connectivism and how did it actually influence your work? Like, I, I think there's, you know, because it was influencing people's work. So that would be my question. That's a good, those are a good couple questions. Yeah, I think it, it is, as we wrap up, thinking about that pedagogy of abundance he talked about, I'd want to know the abundance can't be growing on the internet forever. So who's going to be the one to clean up is my question. Who's, who's going to be the one that ultimately archives and stores this knowledge and manages this learning. Um, the secret librarian in me really wants to know what do we do with all the stuff and how is it actually being shared and shared across these domains and these pockets that we still find ourselves in. And it, we're bound to, um, we, unless you hop into like different, literally professional orgs, conferences, or in different pockets on the internet, um, we need to cross pollinate some of these ideas. So I would like to know how could connectivism actually spread now? Because some of our platforms have changed how we see things, who we see and what we see. So what will we need right now in 2020 and 2021 when this is coming out to actually cross 
pollinate and get rid of that those filter bubbles i think and what we only mm-hmm. live so that's kind of my question to like anyone that's listening uh web tech developers ed tech developers we need some help like we need to think about how we're doing that better and is it going back to repositories database i don't know <laughs> i have no idea like but i think it's it's not working where we are in these in these spaces where we're um just a member of and we don't always own the platform is what i'm thinking yeah that's a that's a great that's a great point yeah i think that sums it up really well well tannis i'm really glad to be connected (laughs) (laughs) i have like uh stereo mcs connected i should just add into this uh yeah yeah um thank you for joining for this conversation on connectivism Thank you for uh, having me. Yeah, I never thought I would be doing this. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Who knows how you'll connect? Just be open to it. Until next time. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Between the Chapters with your host, Laura Pisquini. For more information or to subscribe to Between the Chapters and 25 Years of Ed Tech, visit 25years.opened.ca.